This is Nate Hansen and Tim Ritter. We are Almost Heretical. You can find us online at almostheretical.com. Welcome back. This week, a special version of the podcast. Yeah, so we have this other show I talk about all the time. It's called Utterly Heretical, and it's uh, it's a second show we do for Patreon supporters. Um, and it's a little bit more raw, honest, conversational to an extent. Like, we don't edit it. We just kind of say whatever. And so we thought it would be a good idea to give you a glimpse of what that show looks like by playing one of the episodes here yeah usually these are short but nate said hey let's do an episode talking about should we go to church so in reality uh the mic stayed on and we kept talking and so it's a long one but hopefully something that'll be helpful because we know this topic of church and how to think about church Uh, has been emotional for people. So what we do with Utterly Heretical, less theology, less teaching, and more just uh, real-life emotional conversations. So we wanted to share that. Yeah, and this has, in the past, led us to talking about how we changed views on the LGBTQ issue and um, what do we do about, like, parenting after deconstruction and, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit. Like, what's that? And what's been our experience with, with that? Lots of different things we've gotten into on Utterly Heretical, Um, in more conversational form and so this time we're talking about church what should we do should we go should we stay or should we go now right so this one's for free the rest of utterly heretical episodes will be just for patreon supporters so if you like this the regular podcast isn't enough for you you're welcome to join the team of supporters that help make the show happen we're super grateful for all of you and even if you just want to listen to this one we're thankful to have you here okay Here's the episode. <laughs> okay. All right. Welcome to Utterly Heretical. We're back. We are back. Uh, this, this is going to be pretty interesting because we're talking about church. We had a call with our $25 or more patrons last week. We do that once every month or two, uh, like a conference call. Everyone jumps on and we just kind of throw out a topic and hear everyone's thoughts. And we did this topic. We did church. Do you go to church? Should you go to church? Um, Then I threw it out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just literally two lines. Do you go to church? Why or why not? And I think it's been the most responded to post we've done of any kind. Um, And there's there's just a lot here. I think a lot of people have a story, have something to say or share about their complicated relationship with church. Remember when Facebook first came out and you, maybe you still can. I, maybe it's just, I haven't updated my relationship status in a a long time, but (laughs) maybe you, can you still do that? Like set your relationship status as it's complicated, but that would be the relationship status. I I have no idea, but I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. I think that's most people. One came in right now, literally as we're doing the show, uh, Lori said, do you go to church? Yes. or, Or why or why not? No, lost trust. Thinking about going more recently. There's just so many, and we were just reading right before we turned the mics on. We were just reading, and I I did not read them all because there were so many. Tim, what what are you thinking? Oh my gosh, so many things. Uh, Tim, do you go to church? Why or why not? No, not for over two years. Um, since I was uh, fired and uh, kicked out of the church I worked for, um, I've gone to church once since then. And we made it about 15 minutes. 
and it was an Episcopal church uh, here in Bend, and very different from the sort of evangelical, hip, urban church I was a part of before, uh, and still very triggering for me to be there. So we made it about 15 minutes. Fortunately, my toddler son had a bit of a meltdown and gave us a great excuse to get the heck out of there. Um, His meltdown was outward, yours was inward, but you both needed to leave. Yeah, exactly. He was expressing my discontent. That's a connection. That's a father-son connection right there. Yep. But even in my own family and marriage, it's been, should we go to church, uh, has been a constant conversation, uh, as I know it has been with you and your family, Nate. And my wife, Monique, and I have had different emotional reactions to church and different emotional needs that we think church would meet or uh, or wouldn't meet. Um, and it's just very complicated. So I've, in part, I'll just say, I've been dreading recording this conversation because I just know there are a million stories out there and a million different uh, different places that people are in. And so the last thing I want to do is, uh, is sit up on some high and lofty uh, platform and tell people what uh, they should or shouldn't do. Um, and yet this is one of the areas where I can start to feel really judgmental, where my black and white sort of ethical uh, zealotry uh, can come on pretty quickly. So I actually, I want you to lead this conversation, Nate, but I actually had to break sort of my thoughts and reflections down into different categories to help me <laughs> help me separate uh, sort of some of the ethical black and whites with more of the um, just practical emotional realities that we're all facing uh, in terms of this question of why go to church or what should church be or how should we think about church, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh- I'm going to try to answer that question now too. Not the one you just gave, but the the one that was thrown out on Twitter of do you go to church? Why or why not? So similar to you, I haven't been back to a church in a couple of years, except for this one Episcopal church that we've gone to uh, off and on for the last year, year and a half. And the reason I don't classify that is going to church um, is because, like I've mentioned, we show up for the last probably 15 minutes to take the Eucharist and hear as little as possible of <laughs> anything beyond that. Um, and then we we leave. We don't really talk to people. We've, we've met the um, priest. Is that the priest? At a Episcopal <laughs> church? Yeah. Uh, and but that's but that's it um because we did we did go one time um for the whole thing and sitting through a, a sermon was uh just too much for me i don't i don't know if i'll use the word triggering necessarily but like i was nigh on depressed for the rest of the day uh and when we had been going to more evangelical churches before this church I was starting to get very depressed for like the whole rest of Sunday and leading into my week um, because I was breaking down. And, and there was someone who commented on one of the social posts for this question that said this similar thing. I was listening to every word 
in in the songs we were singing and thinking i don't i don't agree with that i don't I think that's the opposite. I think that's terrible. I think that is an ugly picture of God. And then I'm looking down at my, at the time, one, one and a half year old kid thinking, I don't want her just subconsciously repeating these words and having them stuck in her head and her heart for the rest of her life, which is what happens with church songs. And, uh, and those being the things that she uses to draw on to create and craft her picture of who God is and what God is like, because just the the sheer amount of, uh, of songs about blood and, and, uh, death and violence and, and wrath, um, give you and paint. If it's not, if it's not explained what you're trying to go for, and even if it is explained what you're trying to go for, I think creates some terrible pictures about God that I don't want her to have to unlearn. And someone else brought this up in one of the social posts as well. It's this weighing of what's, what's worse. <laughs> I approach it from a what's worse perspective. What's worse, giving my kids something they have to unlearn or them not seeing quote unquote Christian community, quote unquote spiritual uh, worship of God. Um, yeah. yeah. Which one I'm, I'm like weighing those two things, like which one is, is better. And I guess I've just come to the place of like, I don't, I don't know that that's the, the, the only, the main or the best place that worship of God happens, but okay. That's getting way ahead. The way I want to launch into this conversation is talking about kids because that word, I circled it in my notes in the conference call we had with patrons because that word came up so much and so much and even just reading through the the comments on these social posts the word kids children that comes up so much like that seems to be the main thing we're talking about when we talk about should we go do we go should we keep going should we try a different church should, you know that is the thing we've done some parenting episodes where we talk about church and we talk about sunday school and and that type of stuff on utterly heretical you can check them out but but yeah like have you noticed that too tim that seems to be the word that everyone comes back to yeah i mean not obviously not everybody has kids uh but i think for people who are parents you and i are both nate um there inevitably is just more riding on the question when we think about what's best for our kids than there is when we think about ourselves and i think that's good and, and natural right um but I also think there's something particularly particularly important and potent either for good or for bad about – I know this, this phrase has a negative stereotype, but just religious indoctrination. And I know part of what you've talked about, Nate, and we can get into it more here, save it for later, but in Protestant churches, the, the center point of church is a sermon – uh, some churches that's sort of on the short side, maybe a 10 minute homily, 15 minute homily on, in other churches, it's an hour or hour plus long lecture. Yeah. I had a friend the other day, he was mentioning how the, the sermon at his church has turned into basically a seminary lecture where it's about dispensing correct theology on the next verse in the in in the line, you know, they go through the Bible, right, right up and right up through the Bible, and it's about dispensing that that next piece of of truth, of theology that you need to have. And so, even if 
you know, you agree or don't agree with that theology. That's the the nature of what that time is at at his church. And yeah, anyways, continue. Yeah, sure. I mean, that depending, you know, different churches will will tackle what a sermon is, which I could go on a whole long rant because everybody everybody thinks there's like a biblical a biblical definition of the sermon, and no one wants to talk about how we just made this whole thing up. <laughs> <laughs> and like the assumption that a sermon should even exist uh, needs to be questioned. But um, in expository preaching, right, what like a John Piper is famous for is you literally take like a verse, sometimes half a verse, and you sit there and spend 45 minutes or an hour um, building theology out of that verse. And you do that week after week after week for year after year after year. And you as a pastor, then at the end of 30 years get to say, look, I like preach through the whole new Testament or like, you know, look at my great, (laughs) you build a resume over time. But do we ever stop to question whether like we all think that's what we should be doing every week? Right. No, I don't think, I don't think pastors are doing that just to be able to say they, they preach through every look at my impressive resume. Like, I don't think that's why they're doing it. They're trying to preach the word. They're trying to do what Paul, Paul said to Timothy, right? Don't neglect the word, like preach the word, right? That kind of, like, that's what they're trying to do. Maybe. Anyway, uh, (laughs) the, the reason I started talking about this, so multiple in, in conversation about a sermon, multiple people shared that the main reason they, they do or don't go to church had to do with the sermon. Some people are just tired of sermons. You've, you've expressed this personally, Nate, that like, and others did too on social media. We, a lot of us just don't feel like we need somebody to lecture to us anymore. And I think many of us who have grown up in Protestant churches, attending multiple sermons uh, a week sometimes, have gotten to a point where we're like, <laughs> I think we've been over-indoctrinated. Like we've been, we've spent a very high percentage of our life having someone tell us what to think. And even regardless whether we believe them or not, agree with them, we should get away from that thing. Um, And others, it's not necessarily that they don't like the existence of sermons or the the fact that the sermon is the main part of the, the church service, but it's like, I don't like this pastor's sermons and now we have the internet. And if what you're going to try to do is come up with, you know, your best wise guru interpretation of a Bible passage, and that's what the whole point of going to church is, well, like, I wasn't a good business model guy because I can go <laughs> online and find a hundred better uh, Bible scholars uh, to interpret that passage for me in more accessible, interesting ways, right? So for some, it's simply like, you know, how they feel about the sermon at, at whatever church they've they've been a part of. And then I think there's another piece too, which I think often goes unspoken because it's awkward to talk about. But when the centerpiece of the, the church is a, a lecture with somebody essentially doing intellectual homework, telling you, here's how to think about something. I've thought about this. Let me show you good thinking and in uh, its process, I'm going to tell you how this can be interpreted. Even if it's like, I'll help you interpret this, right? I'm not saying every preacher is like a an arrogant uh, jerk, but you know, putting this this idea out there again, I think this is exasperated because of modern technology. But I think in many many churches, especially small rural churches, 
there is a sense of, um, and again, I don't mean this in a, in a negative way, but, but there's a, a lack of respect, uh, intellectual respect for uh, the preacher that I know I felt this many times before, which I don't need everybody around me to be the, the smartest person in the world. But when you've made your job to be the smart guy in the room <laughs> who knows the answers and is going to espouse them to us. And then I'm watching your thinking and I'm like pointing out flaws in your logic constantly. Or, you know, when many of us in the pews are like, ah, that just seems like that's not really what that text was there for. Uh, and you see that over and over again. I think there can become, even if you don't even know the pastor personally, don't have any issues with their morality, integrity, and we're going to get to that spiritual abuse. Even if there's none of that, there is often, I think, this sense of like, I don't know if I really trust this person to be espousing a weekly dose of supposed uh, wisdom or intellectual uh, capital to me. So all take all those feelings, right? And then sub- submit your kids under them <laughs> where they're going to be even more Uh, easily formed, right? They're essentially going to accept as fact whatever is is spoken from a stage or in a Sunday school classroom. Uh, The power dynamic between a small kid, even at a high school age, and even a a 22-year-old youth pastor, basically whatever that pastor says is is unquestionable, um, is gold. And if you've got any questions, any doubts, right, about whether our kids even should be lectured to or indoctrinated or the quality of their indoctrination or any of those things. If it's, if I'm already feeling uncomfortable for myself, then when I think about putting my kids under that, it makes me 10 times more uncomfortable. So I think that's kind of a roundabout way to get back to the kids thing. It makes sense to me that uh, for a litany of reasons, the, the sermon piece is just one of them that our main concern, if we are parents, and honestly, if even if you're not parents and you're just thinking about church in general, one of your main concerns should be uh, about the the health and safety, both intellectual and emotional and physical safety of kids in in churches, because not just because of sermons, but in a, a, sadly a hundred other ways. I think we all know that churches have been uh, one of the least safe spaces for kids. Uh, in American culture. Hey, Brian, do you know anyone that was once a teenage fundamentalist? Oh, Troy, you know that I was because you and I have a podcast called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I did know that. But you know what I find myself asking these days? No, I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. What about all those things that church gave us definite answers for? What are we supposed to think about all those things now? Well, funnily enough, that's what we're doing for season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Ooh, Brian, I sense the Lord at work here. Mm, He works in mysterious ways. And we are going to unpack these things. We're going to find out what we do think about them now. So tune in to season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, the official podcast for the Azusa Street Revival. <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure that's true, but it is available wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> so I have a friend who has shared that basically the only reason he continues to go to church is for the community. 
Um, and that was one of the main things that we saw in response to these tweets and posts that we put out was I go for the community. Um, and I know that has been um, something that I've heard people ponder for a long time. Like, do, don't we need to be in some sort of Christian, um, spiritual, religious community? And so I guess if I put this all together, we maybe don't need this person like telling us what to believe. And maybe a lot of people are in that same boat of feeling like I just don't need someone telling me what to believe anymore, but I still want the community thing. I mean, it sounds like we're describing what I was a part of planting in San Francisco years ago, which was a bunch of house churches where the focus wasn't going to be on the stage and the, the fancy music and lights and all the production of the thing, but on meeting together and eating together and studying the Bible together or whatever, um, singing a couple songs, that type of thing, but mainly on the people. Isn't that a better model? This is devil's advocate, of course, um, because (laughs) I saw that model do a lot of the same, same type of things as the other model. But, but I think, and I think the reason why though is, is largely because we were still trying to do like the mini sermon thing um, and still do the, the mini, like this is the person leading the thing um, and, and still had like this oversight of this, you know, head honcho guy at the top. Um, Anyways, I don't know, but wouldn't that be a better picture if you didn't have those aspects? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've talked about this before. I think there are people who are, out there in the world, um, starting small community style churches, house churches, in order to to use that mode to make something different than the the typical institutional church. Yeah. But there are also thousands and thousands of house churches out there, like those that you and I were a part of, Nate. Uh, that that you were helping plant that we're literally taking the exact institutional hierarchical patriarchal model of church and just thinking that more smaller ones was better than one larger one. And, and I actually think you can make the argument that it's, if you, if it's the same thing, you've got the same hierarchy, uh, that the issues that stem from that hierarchy uh, actually can be worse, including issues of abuse, uh, issues of disempowerment, uh, trust issues, all that can be worse in small uh, churches than they are in big churches. But I do think, okay, I do think it's worth talking about some of the arguments for <laughs> why we should go to church, right? And so, yes, uh, regardless of church size, um, one of the most common arguments, I i mean, I was a community pastor. I was, my main job was focusing on, we did these small community groups and our whole church model was basically as the church grew, we would multiply these community groups. We had like 80 of these groups. And my whole mission for years and years was to, to get people in these communities because we believe that that was the heart of it. It wasn't the Sunday service. The heart of it was being in these smaller groups where you'd actually live life with people. Which I think is like a more progressive type of thing at, at, at evangelical churches, right? It's like the focus on community and you have 
like you're telling people that church isn't just on a Sunday. It's what you do during the week with this group of people that, that you're a part of and it's, you know, being there for them and eating and fellowshipping with this group. So I think that is sort of just that, that I think a lot of people would, would uh, recognize that maybe at the church they're a part of or churches they've been a part of, like this hyper-focus on community, right? Yeah. And there was a lot of goodness and beauty to it. So even though I left that church, no longer part of that church, I still have a lot of amazing friendships that were because everybody there was committed to doing this community thing. But, (laughs) uh, I do, I have at times been frustrated. For instance, I I think, I've heard it articulated a hundred different times, that the great apologetic today for going to church is, is the idea, the argument, that church is, is a place where people do not self-select into monocultures. In other words, church is a place where you go and and submit to being a part of a diverse community where you're with people who are different from you. And by being in that community, it's a it's an antidote to individualism, to hyper individualism. And th- okay, can I just stop you? Because that even just the words that you said there. I mean, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had a the, the line about it: the church is the most segregated hour of the entire week, right? Like nearly every church I've been a part of, it was primarily people like me. And the, and the one church I was a part of that wasn't that, I, I think was it was a, basically a mixture of a lot of people like me doing like colonialist-like type of missions to people that we thought were the opposite of us to quote-unquote save them. And so it was a mixture of, of, of two different types of people like that. But it's basically been that. And I know the church you were part of is largely you know, maybe a little bit more ethnically diverse, but primarily the same type of people at, at large, like in, in the group. And I just think every, every church I can, I can think of is, is sort of like that. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's why I had to, uh, I had to articulate. I do think that's the great apologetic. Um, I almost got uh, dragged into a, a Twitter battle a few weeks back. This is it's kind of like my spiritual thermometer for myself. Um, how I know I'm like in a bad spot, as if I'm about to engage in in Twitter war. Um, but how provoked you can get on Twitter? Yeah, it was it was somebody making that argument, but in a way that came off as like that's why everybody needs to go to church, right? I think that's why it it frustrated me. It wasn't the argument of like, here's why I go to church. It's like, here's why you all have to go to church. That's how it sounded at least. But then it also, so it was it was that the church isn't a place that we choose who we're going to be in community with. Church is a place where Jesus chooses who we're going to be in community with. And I was just like, in what world is that real? Like church is voluntary. We all self-select into what, if you're talking about capital C, like just if you're a Christian, then you're in somehow in this cosmic community with somebody on the other side of the world, sure. But what we're t- when we're talking about, do you actually attend or participate in a community of people that calls itself a church? Each of us, in the most, for the most part, in the Christian world, it, Christianity is voluntary. We get to choose whether we're going to be Christian and we get to choose where and how we will uh, 
express ourselves in a in a church community and which is largely uh at least in the western world largely uh a product of the reformation but part what okay, but what about that church that does that's maybe a more middle class or affluent uh in in a more middle class or affluent area with mostly middle class and affluent people but they do ministry to like that low income housing building and those people end up coming to their church as well isn't that a mixture of two different types of people. <laughs> you're, just, you're such devil's advocate. This conversation. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. So you just conflagrated two things. One is that we all get to choose, and the and the fact of American life. You can look up a hundred different articles online that what MLK said fifty years ago is still true today. That Sunday church services are one of the most segregated spaces in American life. So at least uh, racially. So when it comes to racial diversity, that great apologetic argument that this is the church, these are the people that Jesus chose, isn't true. We are self-selecting. There have been multiple polls that find that evangelicals don't mind that that's the case. They're happy with the lack of diversity in churches. It's not like that's everybody's frustrated that there isn't more diversity and they can't understand why everybody around them looks just like them. They're, they're just fine with that. Right. Um, secondarily, what you're talking about, Nate is literally, can I just say on that too, don't forget your second point, but like, I think that, I think that largely people that aren't aware of the racial dynamic don't even notice it. They don't notice it. And this this reminds me of that music video by that Christian artist. I can't remember his name now from like a year ago he did this song about like all gathering around the throne of God from every people tribe and tongue. And I don't even remember the song, but, and I saw people sharing it on Facebook, like, yes, yes, yes. And then, so I watched the video and I think we talked about it on the show, but it was literally, literally every single person in the video was white talking about this great, and it was like hundreds of people, hundreds of people. And uh, in talking about how when we gather around the throne and the final, you know, and worshiping God on the final day, whatever, it's all going to be from people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And it's every single person that's white. And and what struck me about that isn't so much that, like, everyone was white in the video. That's crazy. But, like, the fact that he could put that out and, and not until people started commenting on it, did he did it even register? I don't think he wanted to put out a video that just showed a bunch of white people and wanted to show like, this is what I, you know, this is what I, he wasn't trying to make a point. He didn't think about it. He didn't even, didn't even cross his mind until the video came out and people started saying like, uh, dude, this is a little bit weird. You know, like he didn't cross his, that's, that was the strangest thing to me is that he was able to, and the most telling thing is that he was able to put this whole thing together. I mean, you know how much time goes into editing a video like that, getting the, all the people together and for a video like that and casting call to get like, and then editing and, and producing and, and sharing and marketing and all this stuff. I mean, hours and hours and hours and not until it gets shared and people start commenting on it. Does he go, Oh crap. And then has to issue a statement about the thing. Like he didn't put it out with a statement. He had to issue it retrospectively because of the pushback. He didn't think about it. And I think that's where a lot of people are. They just don't think about it. Although you brought up the fact that there's a poll and they were actually asked to think about it and they thought about it and they said we'd prefer it this way. So I don't know. Right. I want to move on. But secondarily, you you talked about our our church past in San Francisco and this idea of sort of 
a colonialist mindset. We need to talk about this more, but the fact is we we addressed this at the time. There was never a sufficient response. What our ministry was, both when you and I met, Nate, and we were working for a parachurch, and then when you went on to, to do some house church planting, was basically going to the projects in San Francisco, two different uh, districts in San Francisco that were predominantly poor, dealing with high crime rates, high drug addiction rates, high poverty, uh, and saying that we, the church, were going to go do, do mission ministry to those people to save those people, ignoring all of the churches in those communities made up of the community members who were there being churches. It was like because they didn't, the church didn't look like us, the people didn't talk like us, they didn't fit our evangelical, predominantly white church culture, uh, we didn't even notice that they were there, right? So we were basically had this kind of conquest mindset. Um, and that was, uh, you could make... Well, and they had wrong theology because I know a lot of the churches we encountered and just honestly laughed off, I remember laughing off, were churches that had liberation theology. Um, and so we just cast it aside. Like, well, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, you know, I can't remember how many churches were in the one district. Um, we'd say it all the time. I can't, it was a lot of churches that were in there, but I, and I remember in our meetings saying, but they're not like real Bible teaching, Bible believing churches. And so we cast them aside and that further justified our need to be quote unquote on mission to these people. Which is of course, yet one more product of the Reformation is every church arrogantly claiming to be the only true church to the point where you just have thousands and thousands and thousands of churches uh, on their little islands. Yeah. They weren't reformed is the main, that was the main (laughs) kicker. (laughs) Okay. So let's zoom back out a little bit. Like what basically we're talking about is, is lots of churches racist uh, and, and church is a racist space. Oftentimes, not always, oftentimes. Um, in in the church that I worked for, you're not saying that the people that are there are racist. You're saying that the time is segregated and is thus this this racist space. Then, because I think a lot of people are going to hear that and say, like, yeah, but you don't know my church, you don't know my pastor, you don't know me and my friends. We're not racist. But I would say, but your church is still made up of people just like you, primarily. Probably, I would love to hear this church that isn't, but. I'm just, I guess I'm just asking you to clarify, like, you're not saying that the people in their hearts think that they are racist. You're saying that that time and that space, that's just what it is. Oh, I'm saying both. I think, I think there are vastly high numbers of white racist Christians attending churches in America. I actually think if you're, if you were to look for a place to find the, the highest percentage of racists, it would be white church attendees, um, that is different than the fact that churches like mine in a progressive city like San Francisco, where most people uh, I don't think were individually racist, mostly, although a, lo- a lot of us had some really bad baggage and habits and, and ways of thinking, the the subtle form of creating a racist church space was that Basically, church was a white subculture 
that everybody to be a part of the church community was was silently, quietly, subtly asked to conform to. And in my experience in my church, uh, with many of the people of color who were at our church, especially young black people, it was essentially around Ferguson and the last basically four years, uh, starting about four years ago, of racial tensions that really drew out our church was not going to be a church that actually honored black lives and cared about what happens to black bodies when they go out into the world uh, in the United States and wasn't a church for the feelings of black people. It was a church where black people were meant to fit their feelings and lives into this sort of uh, mold of this basically seemingly Christian subculture, but it was a white homogenous subculture. So here, let me transition us away from (laughs) the problem of racism in churches to this bigger question of church. One reason to not go to church that I saw many of my friends had to come to terms with was that church wasn't a safe space for them anymore. Multiple black friends had to, had to recognize and, and become honest with themselves and with others. And some of them were brave enough to be honest with uh, the pastors that that church just wasn't a space for, wasn't a safe space for them to be black at. (laughs) Uh, Literally, it was just not a, a safe place for them because of, uh, of various forms of, of racism. But here's the transition. There are so many reasons why church would not be a safe space, right? Right, because I was hoping we were going to talk about, yeah, uh, church trauma too, and religious and spiritual trauma, which is something that came up a lot in the comments. Yeah, I, th- I think the majority of the... Uh, people who feel like they can't go to church that we were hearing from, it was because some form of spiritual abuse in their past. So a lot of stories of women, I have some of these close to me in my own life, women who divorced their husbands, many of them because they felt like they were being abused and needed to get out of there, either emotionally or physically abused or sexually abused in their marriage. And what it happens over and over and over again is the church they're a part of sides with the man. He's the victim. The woman is the, you know, fill in the blank uh, for breaking the biblical uh, code of sticking uh, through marriage. And so the woman gets kicked out of the church, shunned, all that. Um, and basically for trying to get help, right, is totally outcasted from supposedly, and we hear this all the time, the community that said they were family, right? Um, this is one of the, our church did this too. We pitched the idea that the church wasn't just about the sermon. It was about being a family to one another, which, like I said, the, the pro, I really do have friends that I consider dear family that we got to be friends through the church. So I, I don't want to say it's all junk, but at the same time. I mean, us, right? Like we wouldn't, <laughs> we're we're best friends and we wouldn't and our families are best friends like that that doesn't happen without the church and that's a question i want to touch on sometime too is like how do you make friends <laughs> with that because yeah. like all the friends i look i look around like that's where i got them from okay sorry sorry continue yeah so the danger to finish the thought the danger is that <laughs> when you're putting yourself out there as a as a alternative family as a spiritual family but then you don't actually 
hold to the loyalty that typically blood family does and your loyalty actually goes along the lines of as long as you're loyal to this institution or this shared set of beliefs or these shared practices or you show up at all these events then you're my family the danger is you've just created basically a recipe for for totally wounding uh, someone which so many people uh, shared with us is exactly what happened to them my company buffer is like a really cool forward thinking progressive company. Like we're talking all the time about the future of work and all this. It's really cool. And so it's so cool that we started to over the years refer to each other as family. And we, we talked about that. Like people would talk about that a lot. It just kind of slipped in. Like we'd call each other family and you know, that type of that, that language around, around the workplace um, because it, we really kind of started to feel like that. And someone brought up last year, like, Hey, we should probably, not use that word when we're talking about this group of people because this is different than a family in a number of ways one being that if if I mean, it's a work relationship if you're not doing your work up to a certain level or something like that you're probably going to be fired for for that and that doesn't happen in a family and if you know and just I went through all these things but what I appreciate about it, first of all, like, no, no, I want, I want this to be, and then I was like, no, that, that's true. Let's be honest about what this actually is and not use a word and have this idea around this space of family that doesn't actually apply. And so that, when you were talking about the church, I was thinking like, oh, that'd be so much easier if we just said like, that's not what this is, right? That's not what this space is, but it's when it's not that, but you're calling it that, that's where a lot of people end up getting very, very hurt. Um, I think that's it. It's a good analogy because in both spaces, the reason people are doing it is is to be loving, right? It's a it's a way of saying like you mean a lot to me, or I really enjoy you, or like this is, you know, I'm happy with this relationship, like at work, right? And so you're like, oh, we're we're like family, right? It's not like people are doing that to be coercive or manipulative, or to hedge their bets to make it hurt more when they fire you. <laughs> uh, people are doing it to be loving, and I think it's exactly the same in a church. But you're right. Some of us who have been beat up by that, have been you know spit up and chewed out, realize on the other end of it, oh, th- that was sort of playing with fire. Um, so whoever said that at, at your company, my guess is that wisdom was derived from some sort of negative experience where they saw it, it go bad. So that isn't to say like there isn't beauty in in finding a, a, a new or additional family in a, a body of people who are not your blood family. I mean, there's tremendous beauty and amazing stories throughout church history of people who were abandoned by their families, uh, the orphans and the widows, right? Or the people that the Jesus and the Old Testament, and New Testament collectively uh, wanted us to care for, um, people who didn't have families. So there's a, like there are amazing stories of disabled people and, and uh, communities who have been outcasted and shunned or slaves or refugees who have been kicked out of other spaces who Christian communities have, have warmly welcomed in. So when that's the case, I think that's as beautiful uh, as life gets. Um, but like we're saying, there's just there's uh, another side to it. Uh, when, when those open arms are open because they just pushed you out the door rather than opening uh, in to let you in the door, uh, it's it's tremendously painful. So the f- 
the way I uh, the way I divided my own thoughts, like I said, I needed to kind of categorize this. I, I had I had three three parts or or boxes which I could put stuff in. And part one I just called empathy and gentle compassion. And and to me that's kind of asking the question, is is going to church good or bad for you? There's no should, there's no uh, there's no rule, there's no expectation. It's just, will this be good for you? Will this be bad for you? And will it be good for you right now or for the next year? And so, like we were just talking about, one reason many people need to not go to church now is they are healing from spiritual abuse of some sort. Fired clergy, people who have been shunned by the church, victims of sexual assault in the church or by clergy at the church, like we mentioned, racism at church, people who have been bullied at church, or even pe- people who were were hurt just by other abusive individuals in that church who weren't even leaders or pastors or anything, just were a part of a community where the community hurt them or let them down or they felt betrayed. Those people... I was going to add to that list, and I think it's a big one, people whose beliefs, ideas, theology, understanding the Bible changed and suddenly they didn't fit in that group anymore and it wasn't okay that they didn't fit in that group anymore. It wasn't like a, okay, yeah, come on, like it's fine. You're still a part of this family. When when it changes and it's a pretty clear, maybe you weren't strong enough to, to, to voice all that, maybe you were, but it was pretty clear that I only belong here if I believe X, Y, and Z and I don't anymore, so I need to go. Yeah, that's that's actually my second box. Oh, which I call disagreements, but because this stuff is also here, dang here serious, I thought you forgot about it, and it has its own box. <laughs> it's 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 in its own world, um, but it's totally connected uh, because we heard from people in comments. There's no space in church for their doubts. Uh, the one of the primary emails we hear uh, from people thanking us for doing the podcast is just, I never felt safe to ask these questions and it's relieving to hear somebody ask them out loud in a public space, right? So, and then we've heard from so many people that if you do, the reason why, you know, to use that language, it wasn't safe to ask these questions is if you do, you do raise the questions, you do say, I don't know if I believe in penal substitutionary atonement anymore. You can still keep coming, but you've moved into a different category where we are praying for you. We are ministering to you now, and we are hoping to bring you back into the truth, into the fold, and uh, into, into the full understanding of God, um, because you're, you are uh, on the slippery slope, and you're on the verge of sin. Totally. So it's we're family until you disagree with me, right? Which, but they'll still. My point is, they'll still love you for a bit. Yeah. You know, still, they're still going to love you ultimately, but they will still fellowship with you for a bit, um, as long as you're open to having your ideas challenged and you're open to like coming back into the fold. But it's when you say like, "No, this is actually what I think." Now, now what? It's, that's when it's not okay. Right. So, <laughs> on an extreme example, was me uh, a part of a group of, of church staff. Uh, I had al- already been kind of a, a critical squeaky wheel who is poking at a lot of our theology and practices as a church. That's just my nature. Um, and most of the time, uh, the church leadership was grateful for it. Other times they were uh, irked by it. But then when it come, came to actually some of us um, calling out the lead pastor for toxic behavior, 
uh, <laughs> all this spin cycle went down and I got put on leave and a bunch of us got fired and, and kicked out or whatever. But literally the last conversation I had with the lead pastor, I was told that because I had so many issues with him and disagreements with the the way the church was being run. I could either agree that they should fire me or I could go plant another church. <laughs> those were the two, those were legitimately that this conversation really happened. Uh, I was told I can no longer, either can no longer work there because I'm no longer <laughs> able to work with the lead pastor but if if I want, then they could. But you sound like the perfect person to <laughs> to plant another church. Exactly. You sound like church planter material. Uh, I don't mean to be cynical, but Tim and I talk all the time about there's a very specific church planter, uh, you know, checklist what you're looking for for that church planter person, and it's always the kind of gregarious, outgoing. It's so to I, my I guess, shame that I fit like eight out of the 10 characteristics of the evangelical church planter. Right. And and I guess what I'm saying is like what you did in that like challenging, raising, like rising up and saying like that while they didn't agree with it, they're also looking at it and going like, huh, that, that, <laughs> that is actually, that actually checks a lot of the boxes though. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so in my second box, which it, which I call disagreements, disagreements on theology, on ethics, you know, huge one right now, splitting churches left and right, and every Christian is trying to figure out what to do with, is whether churches are affirming to gay people, uh, affirming for marriage, affirming for ordination within the church leadership. Uh, one that's been in many people's uh, minds for years, for some people, oftentimes we hear people listening to the show, it's sort of more recently bubbled up is just finally people being like, what the heck? Why can't women lead in church? They're leading in every other sphere of public life. <laughs> like what is going on with churches here? Right. So, so those are, you could call that theology, but those are also ethical uh, things are also just the church organization. So sometimes there's disagreements over church organization. So for instance, you've heard me say on this show, I believe that the new Testament and Jesus and the entirety of the vision that was in Jesus's mind was anti-hierarchical to its core. And, and that's one of my favorite parts about Christianity or the, the Christianity that I believe in. And therefore I have immediate disagreements and differences with any church that is in the shape of a pyramid uh, with one individual at the top or even a couple individuals at the top and then what about the elder chains board? of command. Please don't make me talk about elder ports. <laughs> Tune in in 18 years and I will talk about elder boards, uh, which in many situations, including mine, were just pawns in a, in a political power scheme uh, to support the lead guy's uh, power. Anyway, differences over organization, whether you hold to my convictions or you totally disagree with me, or you like small church, or you like big church, right? Or uh, you're okay with hierarchy, but you want there to be an elder board for there to be some sort of accountability to the pastors. Or, you know, people would show up at my church and they'd ask about either sort of church shopping. We do this sort of like welcome to the church thing. And the, one of the questions that would come up all the time is about basically how we were organized. A lot of times people would be coming from places where they were hurt by other churches, right? And they would want to know, like, hey, 
you guy up there in the fancy clothes that, that preaches on Sundays, can you do whatever the heck you want to do? Or is there somebody to hold you accountable? And so they would ask about our governance and our church structure, all that sort of stuff. And then there's just like style, culture, music. So basically, I mean, I, I think most people have noticed this trend, but many of us grew up in very low church, uh, evangelical churches, especially non-denominational churches where you didn't have any formalized liturgy. You didn't use books of prayer or anything like that. And it basically was like sing all the hippest, newest, coolest songs, right? So it was like the acoustic, uh, what was that? Rick, uh, what's the guy who he had like a bajillion worship songs in the not Rick's probably not right in the nineties. Rich, Rich Mullins, Rich Mullins maybe. Yeah, what was the well, other one? Uh, it'll come to me anyway. It'll come to me too late. Um, and then you get into the new wave, right, with like Hillsong and Bethel music and all that. What's funny to me is all the reformed churches uh, that care a lot about theology. <laughs> singing all the Hillsong and Bethel songs and then like being like, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't sing this one. <laughs> but, but it they sounds still sing them good. <laughs> it does. It's so tempting. Right. It's like the, it's like all the positive, encouraging Christian music stations that love it when like that crossover singer sings the one song about God because then they get to play an actual popular artist on their radio stations. Like, thank you, Carrie Underwood. <laughs> well, the... The progress... <laughs> Jesus, take that wheel. The progressive alternative with something like Bethel is like, well, they did just relaunch an ex-gay conversion ministry, but gosh, I love that track. And it's like, <laughs> like I can't endorse yeah. anything they do, but I really like the way it sounds. Anyway, there's a trend. I think a lot we just, of- We just got on a total cynical like Actually, soapbox right there. That'll be a transition to my third box. But uh, a lot of us grew up without any, any sense of like a, a high liturgy. Maybe like for me, it was around- uh, around Christmas, we would basically do liturgical services, uh, for the four weeks of Advent around Christmas, Christmas. And then the rest of the time it was basically like a pretty much a low church service. A lot of us basically, once we've had some frustrations, get tired of that or whatever, start to find liturgy, classic liturgy in a Catholic mass or an Orthodox mass or just an Episcopal service really beautiful and compelling, I think largely because it's new. (laughs) On the flip side, there's so many people out there who grew up in mass. Exactly. Going and rehearsing uh, hymns that they didn't understand and performing liturgies. Totally. (laughs) So... There's so many like, you know, culture style preference battles uh, out there that we've all just got to wrestle through in terms of if we go to church, where we go to church, who we go to church with, all that sort of thing. One thing, before you get to your third box, one thing I will say about that is kind of what you're bringing up there, like going and doing something different than what you're doing is basically what you're talking about with with like a Catholic going to a evangelical church or a evangelical going to a Catholic church and, and discovering like, Oh wow, this is, there's some really cool stuff about this. The cool, one of the coolest times is when we first moved back to Oregon, we weren't going anywhere for a while. And like that it almost made me want to just tell everyone that has been going for a long time, even if they hadn't started to deconstruct anything, just like, Hey, you should take like a six month, one year sabbatical break from this thing retreat from this thing even if you think it's awesome and ask yourself like questions like why do i do this why do i go here what 
what am I trying to like achieve because of this? Like all those kind of questions, like it's just really, really healthy to do that. I think with anything that you've been doing your entire life, we would do that and we would do that with anything else. We would take a break, like go on a discovery retreat or something and, and try to like, uh, you know, just figure out why we're doing this thing and, and what we can learn. And do we want to continue doing this thing? Like those questions, but those questions are often off limits when it comes to this topic. Okay. Bucket three, Tim, bucket three. Well, actually, so I, th- I, th- I think before I get to bucket three, uh, in, in both, like, so the way I'm separating my, my own feelings about church, the first one is there, there are a lot of good reasons to answer either yes or no going to church would be good for me right now. And so a lot of, we talked about abuse and all that, but one of them, literally you could be going to a healthy church and happy and all of that, but there could be very good reasons. Like you just said, Nate, to take a break. Uh, I think I shared on the show a while back. I realized, uh, several years back, I think it was about five years ago, I was in ministry. I needed to detox from studying the Bible and basically needed to take a break from studying theology because I was addicted to it as a as a form of like spiritual progression. I felt like that's what I needed to do uh, in my life to really feel okay about myself. And, you know, you, there are a whole litany of reasons and explanations as to why I was feeling that way. But once I realized that, it wasn't that that was a bad thing. I basically took, I don't know what it was, six months off or something. And I went back and I just read fiction for, for six months and it was really healing and rejuvenating for me. There are really good reasons to, to detox from even good things, right? And there's, that's some of the wisdom of spiritual practices. And so for some of us, just not going to church might be a good thing for you, even if it has nothing to do with all of the complaints that you hear us constantly <laughs> offering or others. That's what I'm saying. Like I was sharing that with, I would share that with people that had not experienced any deconstruction, complaint, abuse, anything like that. Um, because they hadn't, because they hadn't experienced those things and because they thought everything was great, not necessarily as a way for them to discover it wasn't great, but if it really is, then wouldn't you just discover how much you miss all of that? Like when you're away from it or like, you know, if it's really all those things, you'll just discover how awesome it really is. And if not, then you'll think about other, other things. It's just good to detox. Yeah. And I think the one you brought up, like the Bible, the Bible break is a good one too. Um, and this is crazy. Cause these are all these things that we, we would have told people never, like never take a break. You got to keep the Bible in your life mm-hmm. every single day. Right. Well, and that's, so I've heard either from, people who come from a high church tradition like Catholics, or oftentimes it's just Protestants critiquing Catholics. But I've heard a lot of talk of the need to break from liturgical rituals, right? So it's like you need to make sure that you're not idolizing, you know, the rosary or saying your set of prayers or attending mass, right? Because it's like the idea the Protestants have oftentimes of Catholics is that Catholics think they have to do all those things to, to be saved or to truly be Christian. On the contrary, on the other side, what we were talking about with the sermons, I think is just as important, if not more important for people to, to detox because that has been the thing. Like we talked about the, the core of Biblicism is saying that this is how we really know that we're truly Christian um, is, is via this book. Uh, and the sermon is the place that that does that for us, right? Uh, for that reason, I think it could be especially important if people have come from uh, 
many years in churches that are centered around telling you what to think, a.k.a. a sermon, could be good for you either to not go to church or to try going to a liturgical a church that is helping you connect with God in ways that aren't via sermon, or oftentimes what liturgy is, is helping you connect to God in ways that aren't even trying to use your rational brain, right? But are trying to help you engage your body community. So anyway, that's just a thought. But my last bucket, this is why, honestly, we can we can make this short. I, I want to make this short. This is, the, this is why I dreaded having this conversation, is <laughs> this is the bucket where my where I get judgmental fast. Um, and, and to me, it's, it's asking the question, when is participation actually complicity? Like when it's, it's not just, should I go to church? Will, will going to church this weekend be good for me? Uh, will being around these people be good for me? Will listening to a sermon be good for me? Or what do I do with all these disagreements or questions or doubts that I have? What do I do if I'm tired with the hypocrisy or having to pretend I believe certain things? It's, like, does, does me going to this church make me complicit in something having a negative effect on the world? Um, and that's where it really is the question, should, should I go to church? Um, and this is one, just because it's my personality as a one on the Enneagram, I'm highly critical, perfectionist, and I can dwell in the black and white world of ideals. Um, so it's... It's one where I'm, I want to be really cautious to make any proclamations that are like, you know, trying to fit the complicated world into a small little, little box. But I think we should raise some questions, at least. So you're saying by going and, and sitting there and in your, in your head thinking like, yeah, I don't really agree with this thing. Or, yeah, it is like the most segregated time of the week. Like, yeah, it's, uh, I would, I would want to see women leading this. Uh, I, I, I hate the fact that there are, they were promoting this complementarian patriarchal ideas. Um, but I, I'm going to continue going, but I, I'm not actually going to like say anything about this or I'm not going to disengage from this. Um, and maybe there's some good reasons why, but is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So so I have heard, had conversations with dozens of friends, I myself, for years before we even raised red flag and ended up being kicked out of the church. There are many of us who had all these issues, and there are people who were asking the question for years, when do I stay, when do I go? Should I stay a part of this thing and be a counterculture from within, right? Or do I do I protest and cast my vote? by by leaving. So I I just want to acknowledge that it's a complicated thing and there's no way for me or anybody. We couldn't even answer that question together. <laughs> uh, everybody had to feel it out for themselves. I will say what I've seen time and time again is people want to stay and fight the good fight and they eventually realize it's getting nowhere and it's just beating them up and they eventually leave. We just had some friends who did that exact thing with the church they'd been at for years and we're a part of like really intentional um, groups inside of the church that would bring things to leadership and would try to, you know, sway the the, the thoughts of the you know, of the leaders and the direction of the church and all this kind of stuff. And eventually, I mean, I'm, I'm just my point is they were they were very they were doing a lot of work to try to not just have 
different ideas than what the leadership had and, and, um, and different feelings of how the church should be led, but actually like do the work to try to craft and, and bring these ideas before the leaders and do it in a winsome way. And all those things that you hear are like what you're supposed to do. Right. And, and not to be like all cynical, but it, it didn't work. And they ultimately left. And I think I, I agree with you. Like I, I can't tell someone what to do, but I have seen more often than not, like that's what ends up happening. Um, is there isn't that change that you want to see and you, and you ultimately end up leaving. But, but yeah, maybe you do need to stay. I don't know. Right. And I think the kind of people I have in my mind when I say I at least want to raise some questions are those of you listening who, who aren't the kind of people who are already asking the question of when is my participation complicity, who are the kind of people who wouldn't naturally ask that question and and I'm saying every single one of us who who goes to church, I believe has an ethical responsibility to ask that question. I'm not saying I know the answer, but I think has to ask that question. A, a church is a particularly powerful institution in, in many ways. And, and like I said, for 99 point something percent of us, church participation is entirely voluntary. And so as I've thought about this for a while, I, there are holes in every analogy, but I think to me, it seems like it's a pretty decent analogy that participating in a church. So that's like showing up Sunday morning or joining a small group or putting your name on an email list or showing up once a month, whatever. Giving money. Part. No, n- well, no, hold on. You're just saying like even in the lowest form pa- of- Participating. Very low participation. Okay. In some form in the community, that is that is analogous in my mind to casting a vote to, to support that organization. Tithing, which we can talk later about how tithing is not a thing, but giving money to a church, financially supporting a church, to me is roughly an analogous to, to lobbying for that institution. Like you are so in belief that that institution needs to exist in the world that you're going to go lobby for it with your own money and, and send cash that direction. If that institution is is a wonderful blessing to the world, then of course voting for it and lobbying for it are, are fine, right? But if that institution is hurting people, then we all have to to at least stop and think about what it would mean if we were voting for and lobbying for the existence of, of that institution. So, th- and I, I know that like, for some of us, we, for people like me, I'm constantly asking myself this question of like, you know, how am I complicit in the situations around me. But I know for a lot of people, uh, you have to kind of force yourself to ask that question. And I think it's especially important to ask it with churches. And something you and I talked about recently, Nate, is one thing that makes one thing that makes this really hard is you have to know, right? You have to know the institution to be able to answer this question. <laughs> you have to know the people that are part of this institution. Not everybody in the church, you you not you need to know the people at the top. You need to know how the institution works. You need to know where the money goes. You need to know how power is handled 
you need to know how, in my view, how minorities, outcasts, marginalized people are honored and empowered. Um, but so one, you've got to do your homework, right? To know that your, your support and your money is going to a, a good place. But one thing that makes us hard is churches like the one I was a part of, which were the hip city young person's church which were so transient. We were basically the gentrifying church of San Francisco where basically, you know, some ridiculously high percentage of the church would change over every year as new people moved in the city and other people left is if you're, if the church you're, you're thinking of going to or are going to is so transient that people like me and the, what it was it something in the twenties, I forget now. Um, by the time I got fired, I was like the 22nd or 23rd person who had left staff, uh, either been fired from the staff or quit because they were quite discontent in about eight years of a church's existence. But because the church is so transient, by the time a year had passed, no one even knew any of that had happened, right? And so you and I talked about this, Nate, where there's this element now, I think, of like where there's such high turnover at churches that People show up and there's always this new influx of people who don't know the church, but still show up and lobby for it in a sense without knowing it. And are because I knew the, in, the insides of this church, I knew how many people were, were incidentally supporting a toxic institution that they were good people, had no idea, would probably be, you know, revoke their support had they learned but they weren't going to be able to learn unless I like, you know, took out billboard ads <laughs> around San Francisco. And that was just my story. But now that's made me realize how, how possible and likely that is all over the place. Yeah. I feel like there's so much more we could talk about on this before we had this conversation. I already wanted to have multiple chats. And so maybe we can still do that. Maybe we'll have another chat on the main feed. I, I want to know, like, why did we start meeting like this? You know, I think a lot of people that meet like this, and we call it church, right? They they feel that this is what this is what came about in Acts. This is what Jesus wanted. This is ultimately what God wants, and uh, and and this format is what we're supposed to do. And then there's other people that are like, no, it's supposed to be this house church thing, and that's the real vision of of Jesus, and they're fighting for that. And so, why are we doing this? Where did this come from? I, I want to have that conversation. I want to get into sort of like the type of stuff we usually do on the main show of like the history, the get into like the actual Bible and what people use and like where all that comes from. But this I think was good to just have a conversation um, about all this because this is a very charged topic. And I, we got that just from, we see that just from all the responses that we got um, and the stories and the pain that comes for a lot of people when they when they think about this topic and the the tough decisions and I mean I know there's there's people that literally think about this every single week, I mean every single week they think about this and they think about it during the week as it approaches the time when they need to decide what they're gonna do and it's like oh, are we gonna go back or are we gonna try something different this week or you know like people are thinking about this a lot and um and so I just felt like we needed to talk about this. Okay, I okay I had a thought I'm. So I always want to dwell in the the realm of the ideals, but part of what I wanted to help force myself do for this conversation was do the opposite and and help people navigate real life, right? All 
the complex answers we heard to this question. So uh, if this is helpful, great. If not, ignore me. Listen to the next episode, find another podcast, whatever you need to do. But so in my head, there are three boxes. I'll, I'll just throw out three questions that if you're trying to figure out, should you go to church this weekend? Let's just start small. This weekend, should you go to church? Maybe ask yourself three questions. Would it be good for your health, emotional health, spiritual health, physical health? If, if you're a parent of kids, include your kids. Would it be good for their health for you to go to church? Not should you, not someone expecting you to, just would it be good and healthy for you to do that this weekend? Uh, second, in this area of disagreements, something along the lines of, do you, do you agree enough or respect the, the integrity and intellectual integrity of, of the church institution enough to want to go share a common space with them? Ask yourself that question. That could mean, the answer to that question could lead you to, you should or shouldn't go to church, or it could lead you to, maybe it's time to move toward a different church. Um, and then this last one, uh, to me, the main question is, is, is your participation, is your going to church being complicit in, in something not good? I'll just leave it at that. And, and a secondary question is, do you know the church well enough to know how to answer that question? If you don't, I, I think you've got some homework to do. Uh, for your long-term uh, answering of the question, should you go to church? So hopefully that's helpful. Uh, thank you all for sharing feedback when we threw the question out. Um, I know this is complicated. I know it's messy. Uh, Nate and I both have devoted most of our adult life, lives to doing church, to making church, to talking about church, uh, <laughs> to teaching about church. Uh, and now we're on the podcast asking the question, should we even go to church? Like, I know, I know life is complicated and confusing and hard, uh, and all that. So please, if you take anything away from this conversation, do not take away any, <laughs> any more responsibilities, right? For you to go, <laughs> uh, adhere to what somebody else wants you to be doing, uh, do what you need to do for your own health and the health of your family. Yeah, we're we're with you in this and we are hearing I mean each of the stories we read, the ones that said we we go for this reason, we don't go for this reason. Like we're with you and we're hearing you um and we understand like the complexity of all of this no matter where you've landed on this and we're so grateful that no matter where this whole community of almost heretical listeners, no matter where you land on this, um we're so happy that you're on this journey with us and that we're all willing to, to question things and to have difficult conversations and to ask tough questions and to, to examine and, and then re-examine um, why we believe the things we believe um, and, and to continue doing that. And so we're, we're really grateful that you're on this journey. And to all the people that support this show, thank you so much for helping us continue to to bring the show to lots of people and to bring these conversations to to lots more people um i do believe that this 
this uh, openness to asking tough questions and this openness to wrestling with the stuff that we were never allowed to wrestle with or didn't think we were allowed to wrestle with. I really do believe it's, it's helping people. Um, I know it's helped me. All right. That is a wrap. We'll see you next time. Peace.